Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Broadcasting from his studio in... I don't know, some fucking place, with one liver tied behind his back to make it fair for all of the narcotics in his system, Robert Evans is presenting behind... You don't like me? You don't You don't like, me, you don't, you don't like my, my pseudo-rush intro, Sophie? <laughs> not, not on board? Not not a fan of that introduction. Um, this fan, is Behind huh? the Bastards. Um, this is Behind the Bastards, a podcast that will never be as big as the Rush Limbaugh show because Sophie won't let me use cultic mind control techniques on our audience um that, that, that is inaccurate feel free okay well we, oh, we're nice. back <laughs> the man you just heard is paul f Tompkins, uh our guest for this exploration of the life and times of rush limbaugh hi um, everyone hey paul how are you feeling how are you how are you doing an hour and a half into talking about el rushbo feeling great feeling great feeling i feel energized that he is dead yeah i i too feel happy that he's dead yeah it's Um, fun it hasn't worn off yet it has it never will it'll (laughs) always be good that he's dead (laughs) there's a few people who are like that where it's like every now and then i just like think back to the fact that reinhard heydrich is dead it's like good good for him you know (laughs) good (laughs) good for him (laughs) so once upon a time paul the United States used to have a thing called the Fairness Doctrine. Now, in short, the Fairness Doctrine required anyone with a broadcast license to present controversial intr- issues in a balanced way, providing roughly equivalent time to present both sides of an issue. Now, this was obviously a flawed rule. Some issues, for example, like climate change, don't have two sides, right? There may be different <laughs> sides about like what the right response is, but there's not two sides to the reality of climate change. Um, and while the... but 
while the you know the fairness doctrine, so the fairness doctrine, not a not a perfect, not a silver bullet uh, sort of 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 thingamajig, but while it was in place, right wing media in the form that we have today did not and could not exist. Now, since the dawn of the fake news era, which we're in now, a lot of folks have talked about the the, the time of guys like Walter Cronkite, right? When when you had newsmen who basically every American trusted, who could shift massive national issues just based on their considered opinion, right? Cronkite calls Vietnam a quagmire, suddenly national opinion on it switches. Um, and a big part of why these guys were trusted is they were required to lend equal weight to both sides. They couldn't just be partisan shills. Now, this generally meant that they would give kind of the conservative opinion and the liberal opinion as opposed to the far left or the far right but it did mean that you 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 didn't have something as unbalanced as fox news right right it's like the voter guide you get yeah exactly it, it gives you the measure and says some people say this some people yeah. say this yeah and as flawed as the fairness doctrine was it was part of why most americans lived in a semi-unified media ecosystem back in up prior to 1987 now obviously this did not last in 1987 the fcc as the result of a court case the fcc rejected the fairness doctrine conservatives cheered this on because fair media was seen by arch conservatives guys like roger stone mm -hmm. as a big reason why americans had broadly supported the impeachment of richard nixon at the end of the Watergate investigation. Watergate is one of these situations where when the investigation starts, the vast majority of conservatives are against it, right? Don't think Nixon did anything wrong. The evidence comes out and opinion shifts and it becomes very popular to get Nixon out of office. Um, this is the last time that happens, right? This is the last time that like, people's minds get changed by the facts on a political issue in america um and it's the last time this happens because the right goes after the fairness doctrine after about a decade or so of fighting they're able to get it killed um and the end of the fairness doctrine was the necessary precursor to the creation of a wholly separate walled garden of right-wing content which was seen by dudes like roger ailes as a necessary step to protecting right-wing voters from ever learning about other opinions which would they believe protect the next criminal white right-wing president from impeachment now after limbaugh's death the new york times let ben shapiro noted novelist write a column about his <laughs> professional idol benny shaps called the fairness doctrine quote a standard that in practice allowed for the domination of broadcast media by liberals with sporadic <laughs> commentary by conservatives <laughs> Uh, that's my I'm Benny Schaap voice. I'm concerned at how good that was of an imitation. It's, it's really quite good. It's really quite good. <laughs> so Rush Limbaugh was aware from the beginning that his whole career hinged on the Fairness Doctrine's death. With his and like he starts being a national voice in 1989, two years after the end of the Fairness Doctrine. That's not a coincidence. Mm -hmm. Now, with his unparalleled national platform and his status as a chief thought leader of the American right, Limbaugh went about turning the Fairness Doctrine into his main boogeyman. I found a Vanity Fair article from 2009 that lays this out quite well. Quote, the single most important issue in Russia's radio career is now among the hot-button issues in conservative politics, the Fairness Doctrine, a formalized, fair and balanced rule for covering the controversial issues on the nation's airwaves, which the Reagan FCC killed in 1987. The most liberal wing of the Democratic Party, which puts substantial blame on talk radio for a generation of conservative dominance in Washington, wants to revive the doctrine, which would pretty handily destroy conservative talk. According to the official CPAC polling of its members, restoring the Fairness Doctrine 
Fairness Doctrine is the third most significant Democratic Congress policy initiative opposed by the right wing, raking only behind expanding government and public health care. So, yeah, there is, with Russia's orchestration, a rabidness to the cause. Opposing the Fairness Doctrine is up there with opposing abortion. And he's, you know, he he's a. It's really him that's responsible for making this such a popular issue. Mm-hmm. It starts off as a thing that kind of high up extreme right wingers, guys who had been Nixon's right hand men, push because they want to protect the next guy like Nixon. And it gets popular though because of Rush Limbaugh because he sells it to the American conservative mainstream. It's funny, like the uh, sorry, the, but the idea that like th- with. The Nixon era, after Watergate, Nixon yes. when Nixon resigns, mm-hmm. that is maybe the last time that there were real consequences. Yeah, for any for the for the highest office. Yeah, where after that, you know, Clinton's impeachment, Trump's impeachment, whatever, it doesn't mean anything. It yeah. it, it really is just like an asterisk in history. You know, essentially of saying like, just so you know, people. Some people thought this was bad. And uh, they and they said so officially, but there's no real consequence for any of this. So really what they're doing is saying we cannot (laughs) Nixon should not have had a consequence. We got to make sure that there's never a consequence ever again. And unfortunately, that meant for everybody for like, I don't know if, if because if it didn't happen. If it didn't happen after Bush, which there was not even an impeachment for Bush, like for the Iraq war that we all know now was bogus. If there was never going to be a consequence for that, then it worked. And there there and and from now on, like, when is it ever going to happen again? When if it didn't happen, then when is it ever going to happen again? Yeah, I don't think it can because this propaganda ecosystem churns out people who would fight to the death rather than have somebody who on paper is supposed to agree with them face consequences for blatantly criminal activity. Yeah. Right. And then and then it also it conditions whether whether you believe whether you believe in whether you're you're on Russia's side or not, whether you're on that side of things or not. It mm-hmm. conditions everybody to feel like it's okay that there's no consequences because what are you going to do? Yeah. I, it's just can, the way things are. You can draw a fucking line between kind of the things that Rush starts because it has an impact on on liberals and the left too. Yeah, you've got this. It's it, it's bec- and and it it's because obviously with the fairness doctrine, nobody ever heard anything from the far left, right? The far left, in, in fact, was criminally prosecuted a lot of times for their opinions in this period. Yeah. Um. But the positive thing about the fairness doctrine is that it was a large part of why there was a broadly agreed upon understanding of the basic. A basic reality in the United yeah, States, yeah, right? Yeah. That we don't have anymore. And when you lose that, I, I kind of think when you lose that, the only like things inevitably escalate to deadly violence. Right? Yeah. 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 Um, and that's bad, right? Not that, again, under the fairness doctrine, <laughs> Americans were led into Vietnam, were led into Grenada, were led into Panama, were led into all these horrible, horrible things. Yeah. Obviously, we like it it did not it did not mean that americans had an accurate understanding of the world mm-hmm. but when they had an inaccurate understanding of the world it was still broadly similar right and that yeah. is better than where we are now i guess <laughs> I, th- I think <laughs> it is at least less toxic oh they, i guess you could argue the united states had more power the government had more power to pursue 
violent activity overseas and stuff. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a complicated <laughs> issue, but whatever. Whatever you can say about Rush Limbaugh, he was not a dumb man. Uh, he was mm. a huge bigot, though. Uh, and that 1990 <laughs> New York Times write-up makes it clear that, among other things, he was quick to realize that rampant misogyny was an incredible marketing tactic. This was, as we discussed in our last episode, always cloaked in a thick haze of irony. Quote, this is Rush. We know that women in groups, same office, same dormitory, same barracks, eventually have synchronized menstrual cycles. We also know that there's this thing called PMS, and we know it turns a woman into a hellion. We know that PMS has been used as a defense against a charge of murder. Here's my proposal. We have 52 battalions. We can prepare the nation so that we'll have on any given week of the year a combat-ready battalion of Amazons to go into battle. Imagine that you're Manuel Antonio Noriega. You are in the Papal Nuncio in Panama City. You feel safe. All of a sudden, you hear this blood-curdling scream outside. I am outraged! And there is Sergeant Major Molly Yard leading a battalion of Amazons with PMS over the hill. That would be oh. enough to scare the pants off of anybody. Ew. Disgusting. Yeah. Not a fan. Rush. Gross. Rush Limbaugh, everybody. Young Rush. The thing, I mean, it's like, it's just not even that funny. No. You know it's what I mean? Not. That's what, it's not. That's one of the things that sucks about Rush Limbaugh is that he, <laughs> for somebody who did a lot of bits and, you know, was supposedly doing satire he just wasn't that funny he wasn't it, it's just that he was saying the bigoted terrible things that a lot of bad people wanted to say yeah and the fact that it was so horrible and the fact that it scratched their id made them laugh and made them think he was a genius because somebody was finally telling them it was okay to be as shitty as they kind of wanted to be from the beginning yes. Because you put the tiniest effort into yeah. constructing these bits. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's the same thing with all of these. You've got this kind of strain of comedians who thinks that it's important that they be allowed to say the N-word. Not a single one of them has ever told a good joke involving the N-word, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. It's not funny. You're just going for shock value, right? Yeah. That's all you're trying to do. And that can be, there's not that no good humor comes from shock value, but mm -hmm. again, I haven't heard a single good joke from a white comedian involving the N-word. Um, yeah. Not that it would be appropriate then, but I haven't heard one, you know? Mm -hmm. like. <laughs> so, from the beginning, the villains of the Rush Limbaugh expanded universe were, as the New York Times explained, quote, Black activists, gay activists, abortion rights activists, homeless activists, animal rights activists, militant vegetarians, environmentalists, artists with erotic tendencies, and above all, the <laughs> now game gang. That's the National Organization of Women. Right. That's his gang. hatred. Yeah. <laughs> Rush said that his hatred for these people caused him an uncontrollable urge to tweak, quote, the simple fact of the matter, Limbaugh is apt to inform dolphin savers and tree lovers, is that we are human beings, and we are the most powerful, smartest species, and we can damn well do whatever we want. And you can draw a line from this kind of, the way he's phrasing things here, like, it's stupid to care about the environment and animals because we're more powerful than them, um, to the, like, the shit that uh, Identity Europa and Patriot Front, these, like, explicitly fascist organizations exist now, will put up these signs, like, these posters of the united states that say not stolen conquered right where it's like Ugh. fuck the indigenous people we beat them and so we deserve all this right that's yeah. just an extension of what rush is saying you know mm -hmm. yeah and he, he but the fact that he made that mainstream is why they have a chance of making that mainstream you know yeah. and the idea that it, it's so that they, that they that he phrased it as this uh uh matter of personal choice um, uh, rather than like just common sense, practical thinking, you know, like, do you really want to, 
Do you really want to put your trash in two separate trash cans? You know, and it's like, well, it's not so much that it's a hassle. It's that we're going to make Earth unlivable for ourselves. Not that we're like, you know, fuck you, the dodo. You should have you should have had claws or something. It's that we're fucking ourselves like that's Mm -hmm. why. Why is that been? Why is that so hard to understand and so hard to comply with and so hard to uh, 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 keep as part of the narrative when because the the logical extension is what do you care? You'll be dead by the time by the time this shit by the time this shit affects people in in a meaningful way to, to you, a meaningful way, you'll be dead. So what do you care? And and these are people that are all allegedly all about the family, and yeah. it's like, well, I mean, do you plan on having grandchildren, great grandchildren, great great grandchildren? Like, do you care about what? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I've, I'm I'm not being funny now, and I'm just being just being whiny. But what you're getting at, Paul, and, and what the core of this is, is that Rush doesn't believe in positive things and i don't mean positive in a good sense i mean he doesn't believe in things that should be done he believes in tweaking people that Mm. is what he turns american conservatism into he turns it from we're conservatives these are the things we believe about how the government and how society should be run into conservatism is owning the libs that's where we are now and that's what this is is it's my politics are a sort of rhetorical violence against the people I disagree with because right. improving the world, changing or making positive alterations to the world is difficult and complicated and involves a lot of debate and trial and error. That's hard. All I want to do is own the libs. That's yeah. what Rush Limbaugh created, brought into the world and turned into the entire. That, that's the only thing that's left in conservatism, right? You've yeah. got these odd, you've got a couple of dudes left on the right who actually believe in something like Mitt Romney and Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Not that what they believe in is great or that I I believe in it too, but they both have a, a clearly have a, a principles that aren't yes. just owning the libs, but they're on the fringe now because owning the libs is all the right has. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just, it's not, yeah. so, it's not, it's not standing for something. It's, it's, I, it, it's like not, what i my politics are i don't want somebody telling me what to do yeah i believe in a vague idea of a john wayne movie and you know uh things were better in this bygone era before these people started to suggest that maybe we could improve things and that's where it ends yeah and it's 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 very frustrating, Paul, because that the core of that idea that like I want to be left alone, that's more or less my politics. That's what led me to anarchism is like, don't fucking tell me what to do and I don't want to tell you what to do. Right. And that is what as a kid I was taught conservatism was. But it's not Mm. what conservatism has ever been. And I think a big part of why why the Republican establishment embraces Rush is that by the early 90s in particular, by the mid 90s, definitely, it has become clear that nothing that the right does works for the actual people that that vote them into office trickle down economics does not function you know it doesn't it's well documented objectively (laughs) does not work the way they say it does yeah the invite they're fighting against environmental regulations damages the world and makes it uninhabitable fighting against corporate regulations gets a lot of their voters killed by Mm -hmm. dangerous working conditions and stuff all of the wars they get us into 
are disasters and expensive and do not achieve the foreign policy or even the basic national security goals they set. Conservatism, as Americans do it at least, does not work. And when you know that, you can't go back to the drawing table. You can't admit failure. You can't acknowledge the mistake. What you can do is own the libs, you know? And that's why that's all it is now is owning the libs. Yeah. Um, It's good. It's a good, healthy, healthy society, Paul. (laughs) It's only going to get better, too. It's only going to get better. Uh, So Russia's justification for the outrageous caricature of a right winger that he played on his show had always been that these liberals and leftists advocating for black lives and women's liberation and basic environmental safeguards were absurd. And as Rush put it, I demonstrate absurdity by being absurd. That's his own words on this. Now. This turned out to be an objectively good business because none of his mm-hmm. listeners seemed to find Rush himself absurd. The mm-hmm. character he played became the man he was, and the once apolitical wannabe DJ turned into a mouthpiece for the very worst of our society's impulses. One thing that made the Rush Limbaugh show groundbreaking was that, for the first time in an explicitly political talk show, the focus was not on guests or actual reporting or anything but the personality Limbaugh had created. Rush was his own guest, and this This was a deliberate choice he made, and a very intelligent one, to make the show more profitable. If the Mm. focus of your show is on the news and on what guests have to say, you can kind of slot any person with a decent voice in to replace the host, right? That limits how much money you're going to make, and it limits kind of the length of your career. Right. Rush himself explained in an interview, I wanted to be the reason people listened. That's how you pad your pocket. That's how you establish yourself. And that's very smart. He did, in fact, establish himself. In 1992, Russia's radio success finally got the TV people listening. They decided to try him out as on-screen talent. He teamed up with Roger Ailes, the man who would later invent Fox News, and together they produced one of the most outrageous and vile news programs ever made. It would, sadly, also turn out to be one of the most influential. And now, Paul, it is time for you and I to take a journey into this particular piece of far-right history. So, (laughs) this episode from 1992 of the Rush Limbaugh Show opens with a title card, which features an image of a microphone with the name Rush emblazoned on it, and the words, Warning! The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of the staff, advertisers, or your local station, but they ought to be. Forgot about this! Yeah, I know, it's good shit, man, it's good shit. So... The episode itself has a weirdly quiet intro. No music, just Rush with a pointer standing in what looks like an office with wall-to-wall bookshelves and TVs interspersed within the books on the bookshelves. He introduces himself, and he starts talking about a recent conversation he had with President George H.W. Bush on his radio program. So there continues to be more controversy surrounding my performance with the president yesterday when he came by my radio program the press is telling you things that aren't true but we have the tapes and we have the truth me and we'll show you and tell you both tonight so that's telling that's 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 extremely important what he does here you have to remember fox news was not a thing yet at this time fake news was not a buzzword limbaugh is groundbreaking in that he was not only critiquing mainstream news as being fake and lying but he's also telling his listeners I am the truth. Mm -hmm. This paragraph from a write-up by Rolling Stone gets to the core of why I find what he's doing here so terrifying. Quote, 
He wasn't selling political ideas, and he never has. He was selling political attitude, the swaggering certitude, the mocking dismissiveness, the freedom to offend, the right to assert your privilege without guilt or embarrassment. And partly because he was modeling that liberation with such wicked glee, Limbaugh was making himself indispensable. Within six weeks of tuning in regularly, he would tell new listeners they'd be on the cutting edge of social evolution. Best of all, he promised, I will do all your reading. And I will tell you what <laughs> oh what God. to think of it. I will do all your reading, and I will tell you what to think of it. Yeah. Wow. I know, right? It's That's so, so abusive. <laughs> it's so, and it's so bald. It's yeah. Like, it's yeah. right out there. It's like he's not. There's no. It's not like um uh 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 sort of obfuscating language. He is he's saying very clearly yeah. <laughs> what you, the deal is. This is fucking the, unbelievable. And this is the this is the logical extent of this. I'm so smart, you know, I gotta tie half my brain behind my back just to, to make yeah. it fair. You know, I'm this big genius. I'm so smart. You don't need to read or think. I'll do it for you. And then you too will be smart. Yeah. And this is a huge thing. He he spends a lot of effort in reinforcing his intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um after this section of the show, he goes on to introduce the other topics of that episode, which include Feminazi, Gloria Steinem, and a review of the movie The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Then we cut <laughs> into Yeah. Then we cut to the actual intro, which is terrible nineteen nineties talk show music played over a series of mocked up news articles with titles like EIB linked to higher IQ. Limbaugh gets patent. Limbaugh says no to presidential bid. Limbaugh checks brain on donor's card. Limbaugh to carry a torch at the mental Olympics. Again, he puts a lot of effort into it. It's absurd, right? But yeah, it clearly works. It worked on my parents, you know? Yeah. It worked on all of the people who raised me to some extent. They're all convinced he was fun. Yeah, he's he's fun. fun. Like, but he, but he also yeah. says things that I like to hear. But he's fun. Mm-hmm. He's just fun. But he's fun. I think also you cannot underestimate the um, the effect of the pointer. If you have, no, a, if no, you have, it, if you're on television and you have a, you're you're walking out over a television with a pointer and you're pointing at something, it looks very official. Totally. Absolutely. That's why I have a point. Well, I have a gun, but it works the same way. Um, so, Robert, why are all your weapons in front of you? Well, oh, I'm, I'm always I'm always surrounded by weapons. What, yeah, this is what's, normal. What's what's going to happen during this discussion? You don't have anything on you right now, Paul. I got my machete right here. Yeah, Just you're not you're not strapped, second. Paul. Hold on a second. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> uh, here. Here's my knife. There we go. Okay. That's a nice that's knife, a Paul. Knife. That's lovely. Jesus, it's got a, oh, it's got I like a the nice, the nice little hunchback there. That makes yeah. it good for kind of close yeah. in work. Yeah. That's all right. Delightful. Now we're all armed. We can properly get back to the show. <laughs> I didn't realize so, this was a this was a knife on the table show. I apologize. This is I. There, this is. I mean, there are like three knives on the table, right? <laughs> I have a large this is one. A significant number of that's knives a beauty on the table. All, all right. I'm a new listener. Time. I apologize. <laughs> so. 
The show proper starts after this point, after these fake news articles kind of go through. And Russia's first subject on this episode is the then-new TV series Murphy Brown. Uh, <laughs> Murphy Brown was obviously the titular character of the show. She was a recovering alcoholic, investigative journalist, and a primetime news anchor, and a single mother. Uh, Murphy Brown was a very feminist and progress- progressive series for its day. Limbaugh opens his episode by expressing anger at the show's success. And then, in what I would consider a fairly abusive of manner, he tells his audience why they shouldn't watch it. Clip. Oh, people on my radio show didn't. You probably watched it too, but you didn't have to. You know why you didn't have to? Because I told you you didn't have to. I had the script. I told you everything that was going to happen on this show. I told you it wasn't funny. I told you it was defensive. I told you this show was, 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 uh, was a little heavy-handed. I said that they're, they're focusing on the wrong thing in this show, and they really did. I, I know you've heard a lot of people say a lot of things about this show, but I'll tell you the most important thing is that they got very defensive about what a family is. They trot out all these various examples of what a family is, and that's not what the vice president or any of the family values people. That's profoundly abusive, I think. This, yeah. this you shouldn't have watched this show because I told you not to. And I told yeah. you not to because it's not good for you to imbibe this. Um, and I think it's important to break down exactly what he's doing here. First off, he is trying to physically separate his audience from mainstream American society. Murphy Brown mm. was a hugely popular show in this day. He is literally telling them, you don't need to watch this thing other people are watching because I am telling you not to. And he justifies this by saying that Murphy Brown is an assault on family values, which he goes on to call functional values because families like the ones portrayed on Murphy Brown were in Limbaugh's eyes non-functional. This is significant because Murphy Brown was a single mother. She was one of the first single mothers portrayed on American TV as not just existing, but as being a successful person and a competent parent. So naturally, Rush was furiously not into it. I can't let you. We can't let people watch this because it will give them the wrong idea, not just about single mothers. I also think it's worth noting that on the show itself, Mm -hmm. the idea of her being a single mother was a, a plot point that... Uh, was a story arc that they discussed a lot on the show. It was not yeah. a it was not a blithe decision by the character. It was um, they really talked about uh, what it because it, because it was a show that did that did a lot of satire. Talked about issues. The, the The discussion of whether or not she was going to have the baby and what it meant to be a single working mother um, was discussed at great length on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that's why he wants that's why it is important to him to yeah. keep his audience away from it. Mm-hmm. Now, and that was not the only kind of groundbreaking thing about Murphy Brown. The show was incredibly significant in its portrayal of gay people in several episodes, most notably in 1992 and 1994. Homosexuals were shown as not just normal functional members of society, but as existing in significant numbers throughout American society. There's an episode where like one of the characters buys a bar and it becomes through kind of like comedic hijinks or whatever becomes a gay bar. And he's like slowly realizes what it is. But the point the episode was making is that gay people are all around us. They're part of our community. They are a significant, meaningful part of our society. This was rare in mainstream television for the time, and yeah. it made Rush Limbaugh furious. We have another clip here of, of that. Just adults teaching kids. Doesn't matter what the composition is of the family. 
and nobody has, has been critical of that. When Quayle said that they glorified single mothers, what he was trying to point out, uh, my friends, was, and I think this show proved it last night. This is another thing. This show's got an agenda, and they say all day long they don't have an agenda, but last night's show proved it. It's okay that they have an agenda. Just say so. Like this show, we, we are perfectly upfront and honest about what I am and what I believe on this show. And we'll let that float out in the marketplace and let you accept it as it is. There's no attempt here to fool you. There's no attempt here to deny what I am. But that's what they're all about. Now, this is also really significant. Um, so what Rush is doing here is he's framing his objection to Murphy Brown as reasonable and not based in hate. He's saying, I'm not against single mothers or i'm not against gay people or whatever i am against the fact that this show conceals its political agenda <laughs> and i can see why people like most of my family would have found this reasonable but what's happening here is very sinister because yeah. murphy brown was not trying to be left wing it was trying to make a point that single parents and that gay people are regular human beings who contribute to society it was trying to point out that single parents are valid and functional people these should not be political points and recognizing the humanity of huge chunks of the population should not count as an agenda but yeah. it was critical for rush limbaugh to turn it into one because if you can take the basic humanity of marginalized people and make it a political talking point then you make it into something people can oppose on principle and thus frame their bigotry as not hate but simply a political stance that they have every right to yeah rush was not the first person to talk about the gay agenda or, or to oppose single motherhood not even close but before him the most prominent voices attacking these these groups of people were on the religious right which had first arisen as an organized political force in the late 70s they were obviously influential but they were also obviously religious extremists and a lot of non-religious conservatives and libertarian types did not want to identify with fundamentalists rush who had a documented history of mocking religious conservatives provided the more libertarian right with a secular justification for bigotry against gay people and single mothers and women in general and that's one of his great innovations unfortunately <laughs> yeah he, he pioneered this idea that if you are saying this is okay this thing is okay mm -hmm. What you are doing is saying that's that's somehow that's an attack on me and yeah, what I believe. Exactly. So the idea of Dan Quayle saying it glorifies single mm -hmm. mothers. Um, no one that that show. No one was ever saying we should do this instead. Right. Yeah. We just, should be doing we should be doing this instead of what you think is right. This is what we should be doing rather than just saying can't. Isn't this okay? Yeah. <laughs> like these these people exist. Isn't that all right? These people exist. It's all right. And they shouldn't be hated or punished yeah. or or ostracized yeah. for being this, for like being he's what not they even, are. You know? He's not even talking about a slippery slope. He's he's yeah. just saying that if you are saying this is OK, that means you are saying the way we live is not OK. Yes. And yes. that's just not there at all. It's just right. not there at all. But if he's if he's able to make it be that way to his listeners, then yeah. he can, number one, make sure they will always oppose these things that he mm -hmm. just finds gross. And number two, it further separates them from yeah. mainstream society. This is the beginning of the splintering of the mainstream American right from the United States, from most of the people in this country. And it was the beginning of making sure that there there was no you cannot 
reconcile mm-hmm. the right with with the modern world with the rest of civilization because you doing a different thing than them is an attack on them like yeah. we're being attacked because you're different and so we get to fight you that's yeah. russia's great innovation and also that the the way you think is the yeah. real america and yeah. Not, yeah. not what these people think exactly that's haunting but you know what isn't haunting robert <laughs> the products and services that support this podcast hopefully 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 unless it's raytheon which is very haunted products but <laughs> that's a story for another day the evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. And we're back. So, Paul, I would love to go with this 
through this entire episode with you. In fact, I would love to do a reoccurring series where we just go through point by point every episode of Rush Limbaugh's TV show and talk about it. I think it would be amazing. <laughs> it is wild to see those clips again. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, uh, uh, oh, boy, oh, boy. Yeah. So what's, the, what's the opposite of Proustian? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I, it would be very, I think fun and also intellectually valuable, but we just, we have so much ground to cover. We, that, <laughs> that this has to be the end of that episode of the show. Yeah. We can't do um, a rewatch of the, we can't do a rewatch podcast with the Rush Limbaugh no, show. Uh, yeah. At least not, not today. Um, I think we've gotten the point across and characterized what he's doing on the show mm. and why it was significant. Now, the Rush Limbaugh TV show was what you'd call a modest success. The 30-minute syndicated series ran from 1992 to 1996, which is not a long run, but isn't a super short run either. You know, it was it was not a, a huge hit, but it was successful. That said, its actual impact on history was much greater than its four seasons might suggest. As I said earlier, Roger Ailes was the executive producer of Limbaugh's TV. TV debut. Limbaugh and Ailes had met in 1990, and Rush would later say that their meeting was, quote, like finding a soulmate. And I'm going to quote here oh. from a write-up that I found on Quartz. The persona Ailes helped Limbaugh create on that show, something between a commentator, political strategist, news anchor, and entertainer, is exactly the kind of act you can see today on Fox News. It is not hard to draw a straight line from Limbaugh's TV show to talking heads like Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity. Like today's Fox News personalities, Limbaugh fancied himself as a man of the people who railed against elitist liberal politicians and voters. But as he did that, he was flying his private jet around the country to wine and dine with powerful figures. The myth he created of himself with the help of Ailes is the same myth that we see pushed again and again on Fox News by its biggest names. In retrospect, Ailes may have been using Limbaugh's TV act as a test run for Fox News to see if the brand of conservative opinion that was working on the radio could be translated to and expanded on TV. In 1996, the same year the Limbaugh show ended, Ailes co-founded Fox News at the behest of the media mogul Rupert Murdoch. Much of what ensued, the liberal bashing, fear-mongering, alternative reality in which Fox's personalities lived was reminiscent of Ailes's weird little Limbaugh talk show experiment. So this is really a test case for what becomes Fox News, you know? Mm -hmm. And the year Limbaugh's show ends, 1996, is the year Fox News launches. I, what's strange to me is, well, I guess because the show was over, I guess the show, you know, the viewership went down. I, w I wonder why he didn't just stick limbaugh on fox news in those in those early days he 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 wanted to actually um okay yeah so uh like like ailes actually tried to get rush to join the network i think in 2006 um but limbaugh kind of preferred radio i don't think he actually liked being on tv very much Aww. not 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 to the extent that he enjoyed you know doing his radio show um so i think that was mainly the reason but also by the time fox news really got going Ailes had a half dozen Rush Limbaugh's, you know, right? Yeah, um, yeah which yeah. we'll talk about a bit later. So throughout the mid and into the late 1990s, the Rush Limbaugh show was a bona fide cultural phenomenon. Rush created the first fully monetized right wing cult of personality within like the American media, at least. As you heard in the clips we played, Rush discouraged his listeners from thinking for themselves. He was the genius. And if you just agreed with him and thought the way he thought, then you were by definition also smart. As a result, from the very early point, he gave his fans the nickname Ditto Heads. The New York Times explains the etymology of this term as it evolved on his show. Ditto, 
a time-saving greeting used by callers to avoid tedious repetition of the obvious. For example, you're wonderful, Rush, and I agree with everything <laughs> you've said. Ditto head, then, means a Limbaugh fan. So, you're like, literally, he's saying, my fans are people who say and believe all of the exact same things that I do. Um, yeah. and, which is and profoundly they're unhealthy. Absol- they're absolutely going to praise me. And so yeah. in order to save some time, let's get let's just condense all the 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 fawning praise that you will no doubt give me into one word. So we know that what you're saying is Rush, I love you. You are everything to me. Um and I I need you to know that before we get into whatever fucking issue we're going to get into. Yeah. You are the only thing that matters to me. Um yeah. <laughs> or at least your beliefs are cuz I am so empty as a person as a result yeah. of how capitalism has hollowed me out and hollowed my my class out that that I have nothing but the hatred of liberals that you embody until that first guy came along that uh, had to implement mega dittos. Yes. Yeah. And then he, there's mega dittos. And I I can't even get too much into some of the terms used on the Rush Limbaugh <laughs> show because it makes me want to punch things until my hands are broken. And I Absolutely. already had that happen last year because of one of his fans. Anyway. <laughs> The core of the Rush Limbaugh show was not, as he would always claim, advancing conservative ideology, but was instead attacking liberals and the left, who he referred to as commie libs or pink commie libs. And I don't know, again, at this fucking gun class I was at last weekend, the instructor was like, the far left wants to take your guns away. And obviously I couldn't be like, actually, the far left is pretty heavily strapped. It's liberals (laughs) who like are, are, (laughs) but like that's part of part this idea that Joe Biden is somehow a leftist, right? (laughs) That he's a communist, that that you hear an Alex and you hear all over the right now. That was Limbaugh saying anyone who is not a conservative is a far left. So it doesn't matter that actually the Democratic Party is a profoundly conservative political party. Party. And today's Democrats are basically the same as Republicans were when I was growing up in the 90s. Yeah. Um, There's also never any yeah. follow up on these these uh, the fear mongering claims mm-hmm. whenever there is an election. Like what happened to the Obama sleeper cells? Like he yeah. never are, are they still in play? Is he still what? waiting to give them the word? Like it, we they never go back and say, oh, it turns out that didn't happen. It's this. I mean, that's kind of. The thing about Republican talking points, like the other thing, they kept panic, like ter- like terrified during the Obama years. He's going to take your guns. He's going to take your yeah. guns. He's going to take your guns. Barack Obama did not one single thing to restrict gun ownership in the United States. No. Um, whereas actually Trump actually did ban certain fire, the, the bump stock, like Trump put through more oh, restrictions yeah. on gun rights than not that I'm saying anything is wrong. <laughs> like bump stocks are dumb, but Trump objectively restricted gun ownership more than Obama, but you'd never <laughs> know it to listen to the right wing media. Right. It's, it's preposterous. <laughs> you would so, think that by now people would know, no, no one's going to take your guns. No one's going to take this your fucking America. guns. There's too many of them. It's <laughs> yeah, exactly. not that, you know, we'll talk anyway. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's separate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. As I said earlier, the core of Rush Limbaugh's actual ideology was owning the libs. Um, his, his conservatism was built entirely around attacking the other. And over his years on air, Rush built up an audience of millions and eventually tens of millions who began to see political victory as being not about achievements that improve life, but about tearing down and harming the enemy. This is why you get to a point where now mainstream Republicans are selling mugs with like that are like the tears of my enemies are in the. Yeah. You know, I'm going to quote from the Rolling Stone here. Quote, 
Any Republican candidate is better than any Democratic candidate, Limbaugh told his audience early on, which might sound kind of innocuous on the surface, except that, for Limbaugh, the superiority of our side and the inferiority of them was increasingly over the years a deadly serious matter. It became tribal warfare. Which, you know, is kind of where we are now. 100%. On January 23rd, 1995, Time magazine featured Rush Limbaugh on its cover. We see him wearing a suit and smoking a cigar. Smoke curls up out of his mouth behind the bold words, Is Rush Limbaugh good for America? Now, it was obvious to anyone who was paying attention that he was not. But for the most part, the liberal media that Rush attacked and demonized embraced him as kind of like the loyal opposition, as an erudite foil to debate with, to argue against, but nonetheless, someone who deserved respect and honor due to his success. Like, you can see this in the the episode of Family Guy that Rush was on, right? Where it's like, he has these fun bickering arguments with the the token liberal on the show, but in the end, they really both like each other, you know? Um <laughs> As opposed to what Resch actually represented, which is the politics of violent elimination of the uh, opponent. Yeah. Um, and it's th- that's what's most amazing to me, is no matter what he said about the mainstream media, about the liberal media, whatever, they fed him. They, they, they praised him. They made him like he was never treated as a pariah. Barbara yeah. Walters said in an interview, people just can't get enough of him. The Los <laughs> Angeles – yeah. The Los Angeles Times described him as a self-styled commander-in-chief fighting his private culture war against the many liberal do-gooder notions that interfere with his right to eat and wear and spend whatever he damn well wants and say whatever he damn well pleases. C-SPAN highlighted him in a fawning interview that helped turn him into a household name. Within a year of that interview, he was carried by 530 stations and listened to by an estimated 25 million Americans. He started writing books with titles like The Way Things Ought to Be each of which dutifully went on to become a New York Times bestseller. For a man who built his career attacking the liberal media, Rush never received anything but encouragement and financial support from his so-called enemies. The fundamental hypocrisies that undergirded his career were seldom called out. Rush Limbaugh had not even registered to vote until he was 35 years old, (laughs) two years before his show became a nationwide success. The repeated double standards in his work and his life never hurt his pull with his audience. For example, Rush Limbaugh repeatedly attacked Bill Clinton as a draft dodger, which he was, but so was Rush. Limbaugh took the (laughs) route that most wealthy young Americans during Vietnam took and found a doctor who would diagnose him with a bullshit injury so that he couldn't be called up for service. When he was eventually called on this by some journalists who were doing their jobs, he responded, I had student deferments in college and, upon taking a physical, was discovered to have a physical uh, by the virtue of what the military says. I didn't even know it existed. A physical deferment. And then the lottery system came along when they chose your lot by birth date and mine was high. I And I did not want to go, just as Governor Clinton didn't. Which, on its own, is a reasonable statement, except you spent years attacking Clinton for being a draft dodger. Yeah. Like, oh, that's you draft so dodger. F- Funny and hypocritical. Yeah. To me, my my favorite draft dodge uh, uh, explanation of all time is still Dick Cheney. I had other priorities. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just that's incredible. And it's true. Both Cheney and George W. Bush did like Rush, like Clinton, everything they could to not actually go and fight in Vietnam. One of the things that will always be the most infuriating thing in polit one of the most infuriating things to happen in American politics to me is the way in which. Um, John Kerry, who is a whatever else you can say about him, fought courageously, went to went to, despite the considerable privilege he was born into, 
did an incredibly dangerous job, was wounded multiple times, and risked his life repeatedly for the lives of his men, right? Vietnam was a terrible war. We never should have been in it. It was fundamentally immoral on a national scale. But on a human level, John Kerry did the right thing, which is not use his privilege to get out of fighting in a war that other people of his class got us into. And he was portrayed during that campaign as like a liar and a craven coward. Well, George (laughs) Bush, who did everything he could to not fight in Vietnam, was seen as this brave warrior hero. It's I it's still very frustrating. I don't even like John Kerry, but my God, the man did the thing. All of you say is what you're supposed to do as a man. Yes, it's it's infuriating. Yeah, it's infuriating. (laughs) The Ditto Heads continued to listen to their idol slam Clinton for being a draft dodger, even while they celebrated a man who, by his own admission, had done the exact same thing. Rush would eventually rack up three divorces. And I, I should have stayed here. I'm not. It's not bad to be a, a draft dodger. The Vietnam War was again horribly immoral. It's, it's perfectly. It's what what is immoral <laughs> is dodging the draft and then going on to encourage to do nothing but encourage more wars t- that exactly. involve American servicemen. Right. Yes. That's immoral. Yeah. It is not immoral to dodge the draft and say, hey. This was a bad war. We shouldn't get involved in stupid, pointless wars that just kill people for the profits of a tiny number. Like, that's bad. I'm not going to do it and I'm not going to support it. That's fine. Yeah. It's doubly immoral when you're well past the age where it would affect you. Where it's, you're now, there's another, there's a later generation of people that will be affected by this very, uh, uh, you know, uh, hypocritical line of attack. Yeah, it's the moral inconsistency that's infuriating. John Kerry, I actually, and John Kerry did not support the Vietnam War and became, after he got out, a very, very outspoken voice against it. Um, But it's the, if if Limbaugh had served in Vietnam and then gone on to be a war hawk, then at least he would be ideologically consistent, you know? (laughs) At least I could say Rush Limbaugh believes in something. It's like John McCain, at least he fucking believed in something, you know? Mm -hmm. It was terrible and fundamentally toxic as well, but it was not... He's not like Limbaugh, uh, you know, he, he is a person who has beliefs. Um, I don't know. It's that it's that, like that line from uh, uh, the Big Lebowski, right? Like, say what you will about the tenets of national socialism, dude. At least it's an ethos, you know? <laughs> 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 uh, so Rush Limbaugh was not a man who I think believed in much, much other than the fame and wealth of Rush Limbaugh. He would eventually rack up three divorces and four wives. He never had any children. Despite this, <laughs> tens of millions of conservatives listened to him opine on family values and traditional morality on a daily basis. Rush called it functional values. And one key aspect of his functional value system was rejecting illegal drugs. At one point on his TV show, at the height of the drug war, Rush told his audience, if people are violating the law by doing drugs, they ought to be accused and they ought to be convicted and they ought to be sent up the river. He repeatedly Ugh. called addicts sent junkies. up the river. Yeah. <laughs> you should go to prison if you do dr- illegal Classy. drugs. Mm-hmm. He uh, repeatedly called addicts junkies and suggested that drug dealers deserved death for their crimes. While he enthusiastically supported the drug war and the use of the carceral state to lock up mostly black men for selling drugs, Rush Limbaugh was actively trafficking huge amounts of opiate painkillers. Rush used his housekeeper as a hookup, handing her cigar boxes filled with cash in exchange for thousands of pills of Oxycontin, hydrocodone, and the like. In 2003, she went public and narked on him to the police. When the story broke, he was charged for his crimes, and Florida sheriff's deputies opened an investigation into a drug trafficking ring. We don't know exactly... What rushes if he was just a customer or if he had some other role in it, but he was buying 
huge amounts of painkillers. We're talking about a guy who was spending probably hundreds of thousands of dollars on his addiction. And did yeah. it come from, did he have some injury that got him hooked on it or? Yeah, he got it prescribed to him initially for an injury and he got addicted like yeah. most people do. Yeah. And that's, this is, but this is not just with prescription painkillers. Most people who b- have a problematic addiction to a drug get addicted because of something negative that happens in their life, right? Yes. Trauma or an injury or, or an emotional depression, whatever. That's most people who have a problematic addiction. Um, Limbaugh said anyone who does that should go to prison. Then he did that, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but he gets caught, now, no? And he, he, oh, yeah, he gets yeah. caught. Uh, and when he gets caught, it is a big story. Uh, in 2003, his housekeeper went public, wore a wire, recorded him doing a drug dealer. Yeah. Deal narked on him to the police. And when mm. the story broke, he was charged for his crimes. And Florida sheriff's deputies opened an investigation into that drug traffic trafficking ring. Um, his third wife left him. Uh, he checked himself into rehab while his multi-million dollar team of lawyers went to work defending him in court. The legal battle would go on for three years, during which time he began doctor shopping to maintain his addiction. He was charged again with fraud for concealing information to obtain prescriptions from four different doctors who prescribed him roughly 2,000 pain pills during one six-month period. The case would eventually wrap up in 2006 when Limbaugh agreed to a plea deal that allowed him to avoid prosecution if he sought treatment and avoided other criminal oh, activity. Oh, for fuck's sake. That's I, such It's very frustrating. Bullshit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. I, I actually didn't, I didn't really, I wasn't really cognizant of all the the legal side of this. Mm-hmm. Right. I just yeah. remember the the hypocrisy of him being, you know, uh, 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 shaming, just gobbling up. Yeah. yeah shaming. And while well, he's gobbling down these pills, but I had no idea. I, I guess I didn't, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't bother exploring that, that side of it. Right. And like, he doesn't even, he bar- it's not even a slap on the wrist. It's like a little light tap on the wrist. It's not even a slap yeah. on the wrist. It's so fucking upsetting. And again, the immorality here is that he always advocated criminal consequences mm-hmm. for people who did exactly what he did, and then he didn't go on to suffer them. And that's what's, it's not that, like, there's nothing morally wrong with being addicted to painkillers. If it were legal, I would absolutely be a painkiller addict. It seems rad. <laughs> um it's it's the but I'm also consistent about the fact that I don't think doing or possessing any substance That's should be illegal. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. With the exception yep. of like, you know, some explosives. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> there's a line to be drawn. I don't think people should have surface you know, to Robert, air missile launchers. Of but explosives. heroin Speaking of heroin, you know who supports our podcast, Sophie? I, I, I don't know the fine it. people at the Sinaloa cartel so oh God. I was like where, what very specific like uh, easter egg is Robert yes. going to drop right now yes this is a cartel supported podcast and I just want to say <laughs> let's go to ads before I get us in some trouble The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. 
The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Ah, we're back. Good times. So while Rush was using his wealth and power to avoid the legal consequences that he enthusiastically supported existing for the crimes he committed, he continued to act as the voice of America's conservative conscience. Mostly, this meant being super racist. At one point <laughs> on his TV show, he played video clips of black men and boys standing in front of the TV, and, and he, like while he was playing these clips of black men and boys, he would stand in front of the TV and make gorilla noises and grunts. The apparent joke being that black people were like monkeys like that's kind of i i don't know what else he could be saying um pretty, it's pretty satirical bad. very the satire <laughs> pretty right satirical like I, yeah. I i think he got that from a new yorker cartoon yeah. it would be like if jonathan swift actually murdered irish children and <laughs> ate them and then was like this is a satire get yeah. it <laughs> get it the joke is that they're food <laughs> uh Rush repeatedly blamed corruption and violence in African, like the African nation, national governments, as the fault of black people getting rid of white colonial leaders, as we see in this quote from 2007. Quote, Right. So you go into Darfur and you go into South Africa. You get rid of the white government there. You put sanctions on them. You stand behind Ni Nelson Mandela, who was bankrolled by communists for a time, had the support of certain communist leaders. You go to Ethiopia, you do the same thing. Right. He's saying that because the black people got rid of their colonial oppressors, that's why Africa's in bad shape. Not the decades of trauma those governments pushed, not the fact that when those governments gave up colonial control, they put people like Idi Amin, who had been a British military sergeant in charge of the government and it turned out that he was a fucking monster. Not because those governments like colonial governments continued to suck wealth out of these countries and support kleptocratic dictatorships that allowed them to suck more wealth out that made the country dysfunctional and that led to consistent like decades and decades of violence not that they supported right. ethnic groups one <laughs> over the other like they did in rwanda which led to the rwandan genocide none of that it's because they got rid of the white people even though the white people didn't actually leave you know it's super fucked up <laughs> i didn't know that he'd he'd actually gone to the the lengths of trying to smear nelson mandela yeah communist <laughs> jesus christ 
Uh, it's good stuff. I mean, Nelson Mandela also was at one point some guy, uh, somebody who supported like terrorism and stuff, which also is totally justified. If your government is the apartheid government of South Africa, terrorism's not necessarily the wrong thing to do. You know? Yeah, I would say it's like, not off the table. It's not sure. off the table. Yeah. Sometimes terrorists are right. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is like, you could argue that the founding fathers of this nation, who despite their own bigotry and slave, like the, the government they were rebelling against also allowed slavery, they were right to do terrorism to get rid of having a king because kings are bad. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. terrorism is justified sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um. So Rush was repeatedly critical of professional sports for the presence of black athletes, as we see in this 2007 quote. Look, let me put it to you to you this way. The NFL all too often looks like a game between the Bloods and the Crips without any weapons. There, I said it. Wow. The inherent criminality of black people was a belief that Rush held deeply, and he expressed it constantly. In 1993, he said, The NAACP should have riot rehearsals. They should get a liquor store and practice robberies. He's saying this after the L.A. riots, you know, this is like just this is what the (sighs) N.A. This is not people reacting to horrible violence the only way that they can. Right. This is not a riot being the language of the unheard. This is what the NAACP wants because they're all criminals to criticize athletes. I bet he couldn't even do like a jog. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's pretty great. I, the the yeah the talking point of like they just these you know these people they just love to riot yeah they just love to not these people are being oppressed and murdered and yeah. finally violence was the only thing they could think to do because they were given no other options and they reached the end of their human tether like the people I idolize who founded this nation <laughs> like, yeah yeah look slavery um, is over what yeah. more do you want. I, I mean, and when I say that, I don't mean to say like that. Obviously, anyone <laughs> rioting in Los Angeles in 1993 was a thousand times more justified than George Washington and, and the like. That said, I still think getting rid of a king, all other things being equal, getting rid of a king is a valid reason to do yeah, violence. Kings sure. are bad. Yeah. yeah. So Rush repeatedly argued that white people shouldn't be blamed for slavery, saying it's preposterous <laughs> that Caucasians are blamed for slavery when they've done more to end it than any other race. Any race of people should not have guilt. If any race of people should not have guilt about slavery, it's Caucasians. God, Rush, damn. bitch. Come it's on. amazing. How many Caucasians fought to keep fought and died to keep slavery going? Rush. Is this just like at <laughs> yeah. this point when you say things like that? Right. He is. What do you think the percentage is of, uh, for in Russia's mind? I actually believe this, or what is the most out to what is the most outrageous thing that I could say? I think he comes to believe it because these beliefs yeah, become I think he a reflection. His own bullshit. Well, I think what it is, it starts. He's not a political person. He doesn't care about politics. He starts with a joke because he starts doing this persona because it gets him yeah. listeners. Yeah, but he's also a narcissist, and these yes. beliefs aren't political stances to him they're aspects of his personality and his narcissism dictates that he comes to believe it because believing it and defending these things is the same as defending himself and again he's a fucking narcissist i think that's how it works i like the trump thing where he starts out telling a lie but then he repeats the lie enough times that it becomes true to him because he is saying it. yes that's exactly the case So another repeated Rush Limbaugh bit was attacking the daughters of Democratic presidents for being ugly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. In 1988, he called Jimmy Carter's daughter, Amy, the most unattractive presidential daughter in the history of the country. In the early 1990s, he declared Chelsea Clinton to be the White House dog. (laughs) Which is like, 
just very vile. Um, I don't even think it's like I the 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 Trump boys and Ivanka made themselves political figures perfectly fine to insult and attack them. You're never going to hear me saying anything bad about like Tiffany or Barron because they're they're <laughs> children, you know. Right. Like, yeah, don't fucking talk about them if they don't make themselves into a major part of things, you know. Yeah. Now. Chelsea Clinton's done has, has it put herself in the public eye, and it's perfectly fair to criticize her for the things she that, does in the public yeah, eye. But, but at that time, when yeah. he was saying that shit, she was she literally was a, child. a kid. Like, she was a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And w- w- what your what he said about her is a kind. You can't be a good person and say that about <laughs> a child to an audience 100%. of millions. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. In 2012, when Georgetown Law student Sandra Fluke went before Congress to argue that contraceptives should be covered by the Affordable Care Act, Limbaugh called her a slut and a prostitute. It's it's hard. You can't overstate how vile he was when um, the the Marty from Back to the Future. um, uh, uh, Oh, Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox. Yeah. Made some political statements that Limbaugh disagreed with. Limbaugh mimicked having Parkinson's disease to mock him on his show. Like, yeah. he's such a bad person <laughs> to say that to to and implied that Michael J. Fox was playing it up for yeah. the cameras. Yeah. When he went testified before Congress. I remember this. I remember this so well because uh, Michael J. Fox deliberately did not take his medication and said that and said, I want you to see this is what happens. And Rush Limbaugh accused him of like playing it up. Like it's not that bad, and he's he's jiggling all around. Like I, that's Im, Im, like burned into my brain forever. Yeah. It's yeah. horrific. I mean, it's like and and to say that it would be it like I think what he did was perfectly reasonable. I am not going to take my medicine because you need to know what it is like yeah. for people who don't have access to the medicine. I'm rich. I have access to all the medicine I need. Here's what it's like if you don't. I want to yeah. make this less abstract to you. Yeah, I I had a friend. One of the big things in terms of like me changing my political attitudes it started with like me changing my attitudes on drugs this conservative that like marijuana should be illegal that it was immoral i had a friend who's much older than i met on world of warcraft who had multiple sclerosis and we were video chatting and she showed me how badly her hands shook before she started smoking right she like showed me herself shaking and then she took a hit which was difficult for her and i watched in real time how it affected her and i never again supported keeping that shit illegal because you can't when you see it right you can't it's medicine not that most people who use it use it medicinally which doesn't isn't wrong like it's not wrong to use it recreationally but just the idea that what she was doing was a crime made it clear to me how immoral our drug laws were yeah um in a way that maybe if i had like it would have taken longer otherwise i think completely Mm -hmm. um so yeah anyway limbaugh did occasionally face consequences for his bald-faced bigotry in 2003, ESPN hired him as an on-air what? commentator. Oh, I yeah. forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he was fired after like seven weeks because he oh. said Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Donovan McNabb didn't yes. deserve oh, any I of the praise he received. This. That's so right. He said it's horrible. Donovan, yeah. He said Donovan McNabb didn't deserve the praise that he received because, quote, I think the media has been very desirous that a black quarterback do well. They're interested in black coaches and black quarterbacks doing well. I think that there's a little hope invested in McNabb, and he got a lot of credit for the performance of his team that he really didn't deserve. People just like this guy because he's black, not because he's a good quarterback. (laughs) The media is invested in black men being good quarterbacks, you know? I like that you went into your Shapiro voice for that quote. It's (laughs) What the fuck, man? You couldn't do what he's doing. Doing? How dare you? Like, 
So this combat drew enough widespread condemnation that Limbaugh was forced to resign from ESPN. But obviously, this had little to no impact on his bottom line. Maybe it annoyed him personally, but it it didn't hurt him financially. Mm -hmm. By the early aughts, Rush was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. He had a private jet. He had a palatial mansion in Florida. He smoked cigars that cost more than some people's cars. This is disgusting, but I think any (laughs) fair accounting of Limbaugh's career has to acknowledge how impressive it was, too. The early 2000s saw the explosion of Fox News. This is the period where it became the most watched news network in the country. A slew of Limbaugh imitators rose up, men like Bill O'Reilly, Glenn Beck, and Tucker Carlson, to name a few. While these folks were all hugely successful and influential, none of them ever eclipsed Rush. This is because, in addition to wielding influence, Rush held actual demonstrable political power. And I'm going to quote the Rolling Stone again here. His sky-high ratings and the rabid fandom of his ditto heads, who just happened to fit the profile of people who voted frequently in Republican primaries, made it inevitable that the GOP would come courting. In 1992, after he'd boosted Pat Buchanan's pitchfork populist Make America First Again challenge to George Bush, the president became so hell-bent on gaining Limbaugh's favor for the general election that he not only invited the host to the White House, but toted his bags personally into the Lincoln bedroom. Limbaugh had only praise for Bush from that day forward, at least until he lost to Bill Clinton in November. That set a pattern. Limbaugh might instinctively gravitate to the radicals, but he was ultimately a team player, the national precinct captain of the Republican Party, as Mother Jones described him. Two years later, Limbaugh basically co-captained the Republican Revolution with House leader Newt Gingrich when their efforts produced a landslide that brought 73 anti-government zealots to Congress. The host was made an honorary House freshman and feted at a GOP orientation in December, where the new members wore Rush Was Right buttons and listened to his marching orders. This is not the time to get moderate, he said. This is not the time to start trying to be liked. Ronald Reagan himself declared Limbaugh the number one voice for conservatism in our country. And Rush was always very clear. And Rush was always very clear about where he wanted to see the party head. Smaller government, stronger, more powerful corporations. He said all he said outright, I consider myself a defender of corporate America. (sighs) (laughs) Yeah. It would not be wrong to view Rush Limbaugh as something of a cult leader. One of the strongest pieces of evidence supporting this conclusion is, in my mind, Limbaugh's embrace of the irrational. Politics for Rush Limbaugh was never about concrete results or observable reality. It was a fight between good, his side, and evil, anyone who disagreed with him. And since those were the stakes, it didn't matter if he lied or spread conspiracy theories because the essence of what he was saying— that the Democrats were monsters, was true. Nowhere is this clearer than in his hatred of the Clintons. It started when George H.W. Bush lost to Bill, robbing Rush of a president who would directly, you know, take him into the White House, right? (laughs) From an early stage, Rush realized that lying about the crimes committed by Bill and Hillary was a more productive route than criticizing them on policy. And so in 1994, he announced, Vince Foster was murdered in an apartment owned by Hillary Clinton and the body was taken to Fort Marcy Park. Rolling Stone writes, 
Conspiracy theories, once the province of fringe right-wingers, started to become the mainstream Republican fare they are today during Clinton's two terms, and Limbaugh was the great popularizer of the genre. Long before Fox hosts began amplifying the fringier theories about American politics, Limbaugh was busy mainstreaming wingnut world. The conspiracy cranks, the John Birchers, the Christian Zionists, the science deniers, the info warriors, their wildest fantasies, fears, and paranoias all came out to play in the national primetime on the Rush Limbaugh show, repackaged by the host into a palatable fare for the Republican masses. And this is this is significant because Russia's demonizing of the Clintons, who there's plenty of very value, valid things to critique them on. But at the end mm-hmm. of the day, pretty normal neoliberal politicians. It's even spread on the left, this idea that Hillary Clinton is somehow more of a warmonger than other liberals, right? Is yeah. somehow like ex- exceptionally bad when she's not. She's very much in line with everyone else in in the party <laughs> and everyone else who is, has, has held those positions yeah. and is not as bad as some of them, right? She's yeah. more hated by certain people. Even on the left, you'll find people who are who are more directly aggressive towards her than they are to fucking Kissinger. Yeah. Um, and it's not that she's not bad. She is. Mm-hmm. So is Bill. They're greedy. Bill's a rapist. They they ha- have supported, you know, in, in addition to the Iraq war, a number of violent actions overseas that were disasters. But they're they did that as part of a, a, a as as all, like within a large group of people. Right. There's yeah. nothing about them that is exceptionally bad for the 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 crew that they run with. But this absolute demonizing of them that has a real impact by the on the 2016 election that's a big part of why we get trump is something that rush limbaugh pioneers the clintons are not like my parents hated trump hated trump when he was running and voted for him because (laughs) their hatred of hillary clinton was uh, it's beyond rational yes it's 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 and again a lot of super valid criticisms of Hillary Clinton. I don't think she should have ever been president. Also, hard to say she would have been worse than Trump. Um, and if you are saying like she would have, for example, been more killed more people overseas than Trump, you're not actually paying attention to the death toll as a result of American airstrikes and missile strikes and drone strikes as it changed from the Obama administration where Clinton was Secretary of State to the Trump administration. Because yeah. there was a massive escalation in death under that, in addition to a repealing of the rule about any sort of reporting about civilian casualties from U.S. airstrikes. Trump was worse on this sort of stuff, but you'd never know it. Anyway, I don't want to get into a rant on this, but like the, you can't, it's almost impossible to analyze the clintons their impact their crimes and their and their um and their their behaviors their policies with any sort of rationality because this they've been turned into goblins right yeah (laughs) absolutely yeah Yeah. it's it's very frustrating yeah um and it makes it it makes it so that if you try to say like well actually this thing you're criticizing them on isn't a reasonable thing to or at least the way you're criticizing them isn't reasonable suddenly you're defending them and it's like no that's not what I'm it's very I, I hate it I hate everything yeah sorry it gets that that sort of <laughs> specific personality demonization gets in the mm-hmm. way of actually accomplishing uh uh, uh you know discussions of of policy and where and where we are as a country and how we do things because yes absolutely they were completely typical of the the people that uh, occupy the white house on any Mm -hmm. given year you know what i mean yeah and and to and like you know hillary uh even if she had uh killed as many people overseas as trump did 
probably fewer people domestically uh, in terms of policy yeah. um if you're talking about the if you're going to talk get into the the pandemic and stuff like that if she had been elected um and and had, you know anyway uh, yeah i totally agree that it's like it's a very weird um uh thing that uh, uh th- that's that that absolutely sprung out of the the rush limbaugh uh uh personal demon personal demonization yeah yeah that, that that then gets into you know like this fucking alex jones shit where yeah, <laughs> see theories. she's a she's yeah. a demon there's fl- there's a fly yeah. on her yeah exactly it's this it's this turning people from like okay let's analyze what this person's actually done how it's worked when it's been successful when it's been unsuccessful when it's been moral when it's been immoral and to no it, she's just a criminal she's just a warmonger yeah. and we don't have to analyze what she actually did or anything we don't have to we we just have to condemn her we sh- and it's not that she doesn't deserve condemnation for a lot of things but like yeah. for one thing i don't know it, it I, I don't know. i don't want to fucking get onto a defending because i don't like hillary clinton exactly yes. um yeah, yeah, yeah but she's also has it like it's very frustrating yeah it's very it's all just very frustrating yep. um and and he's and he creates this culture and it, it spreads now it's not just the clintons now now it's it's everyone right you don't have to analyze people that you disagree with you come up with a three-word thing about them and you spread these like like bill clinton has committed crimes he's a fucking rapist you don't have to make up that he and his wife are having people <laughs> murdered like yeah yeah the, the Cl- <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like he's a rapist. That's bad. But of yeah. course, a lot of people calling him a rapist are rapists themselves. So mm-hmm. they have to make it up that now, no, he's a murderer. You know, yeah. it's yeah. it's fucking bullshit. It's very frustrating. So Rush also led the charge on demonizing and denying global warming and climate change. In his book, See, I Told You So, he declared that quite a few scientists are now backtracking on their once dire predictions of melting ice caps and worldwide flooding. Cut to Texas being submerged in a layer of snow that destroys mm-hmm. civil society. Yeah. Yep. Uh, or the entire West Coast burning down last year. Yep. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, he lampooned Al Gore uh, and scientists who warned about climate change as, quote, a few hardline doomsayers who are sticking to their thermostats. Yeah. Yep. Uh, his but, conclusion was what? You know, yeah. it, now it's. It never affected him, and he's it dead. never affected him. Now he's dead. Yeah, and he. Yeah, he it hates part of the outdoors me, anyway. So it's not real. As far yeah. as he knows, he was right about this. He was right about this. <laughs> Limbaugh was unquestionably the single most influential American conservative from about 1989 to at least 2008. Now his star did start to fade by the end of George W. Bush's term, and there are a couple of reasons for this. For one, he'd been outed as an opiate addict, gone to rehab three times, and through it all had repeatedly defended an administration that led the United States into two disastrous and expensive failed wars. By the time Barack Obama was elected, many of the more libertarian-minded right-wing were starting to reject the neoconservative ideology that Rush had spent eight years hyping up. Now, the fact that Barack Obama was the man who finally broke eight years of GOP power wound up being the salvation of Limbaugh's influence. Yes, he'd encouraged the nation to burn through its treasure and influence, losing two wars, but now a black man was president. The floodgates of right-wing racism opened wide. In the first four years of Obama's term, the number of hate groups in the United States rose by 755%. 
This surge in public anti-black racism. I know it's pretty shocking when you actually look at the number, right? Seven hundred and fifty-five percent. Yeah. The idea that, yeah. like, oh man, yeah. there's there's a black president. We're gonna need more hate groups, mm-hmm. guys. This there's the a- hate groups, the the yeah. extant hate groups. That we're not yeah. gonna get it done. We need more hate groups. There is a black president who, in his actual policies, is not wildly different from George H. W. Bush. <laughs> but like, yeah. Um, the fact that Barack Obama, yeah. So this surge in anti in public anti black racism was heralded, incited, and led by Rush Limbaugh, the USA's most prominent bigot. There are a lot of different clips that I could select to make this point, Paul, but none is more appropriate than this song that aired on Rush's program while Obama was still on the campaign trail. Now, the context of this is that Limbaugh was talking about the fact that um. Uh, Al Sharpton, Barack Obama and Al Sharpton had like a public series of arguments, right? I think Sharpton was backing Hillary at first. Um, so this is this song that you're about to hear. The singer is supposed to be Al Sharpton singing about Barack Obama. And I'm just going to let Sophie play the clip now. Barack, the magic Negro, lives in D.C. The L.A. Times, they called him that Cause he's not authentic like me Yeah, the guy from the L.A. paper Said he make guilty whites feel good They'll vote for him and not for me Cause he's not from the hood See, real black men like Snoop Dogg Or me or Farrakhan Have talked the talk and walked the walk not coming late and one oh barack the magic negro lives in dc the la times they called him that cause he's all right i think that's enough of that yes <laughs> pretty bad <laughs> i mean i just i guess i just wish that non-comedy people would stay in their lane yeah stay yeah. in their you know lane yeah. bro yeah, like or the, the, that that yeah. like the 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 meter was terrible. It mm. it <laughs> it's bad. It's not it's not funny unless you're no. a bigot. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. Unless you're a bigot. So Limbaugh had other Obama zingers saying at one point, if he weren't black, he'd be a tour guide in Hawaii. In 2008, he compared Obama to a cartoon monkey. He repeatedly called Michelle Moochell, and while. The, because she's a cow, you know, and by the, and all the while he claimed that racism had nothing to do with his hatred of Obama. Doesn't matter to me what his race is. He's liberal yeah, okay. is what matters to me. Yeah. Okay. I Barack just, the magic Negro yeah. guy. Yeah. I just, I just bring yeah. it up a ton. That's all. Yeah. That I just, I can't talk about it enough, but I'm not a bigot. Yeah. It's just convenient that he's black. It's not a problem yeah. that I have with him, but it's convenient for me for yeah. my satire. God, I hate this guy. So or is he even doing satire at this point? Like, has he has he pretend? Has he dropped that pretense? Yeah, I mean, I can play you songs that like. There's a bunch of Nazis that will go through and like rewrite Disney songs to be about hating the Jews and stuff, or about race traitors and whatnot, <laughs> because it's the kind of thing that's easy to spread, right? You you make a yeah. a, a racist song and people laugh. And at first it's a joke and then it becomes less of a joke. It's the, it's the whole story, right? Yeah. That's exactly what Limbaugh's doing. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not even all that much less racist. Um, <laughs> he just doesn't say the N word. Um, when candidate Obama became president Obama, Rush said, I hope he fails, explaining that 
Rooting for liberalism to fail is rooting for America to succeed. Limbaugh declared that stopping Obama was, quote, what I was born to do. One of his tactics to this end seemed to be stoking fears that, because Obama was anti-white, he was trying to gin up a race war. In 2009, Rush declared, in Obama's America, the white kids now get beat up with the black kids cheering. Clearly, he would have preferred it when, you know, I don't know, when white kids were burning down black kids' schools in his hometown. Those were the days. Those were the days, my friend. (laughs) He thought they'd never end. Yeah, it's great. Limbaugh was not the only person who stoked white resentment and anti-black bigotry in this period. He was not close to the only person, but he was the man who had created the blueprint and the cultural space that all of those other right-wing media figures acted in. Ben Shapiro is very open about the fact that Limbaugh was his hero and idol. Alex Jones altered the way he spoke and altered the acoustic setup of his InfoWars studio in order to more closely resemble Rush Limbaugh. In 2010, Limbaugh was picked to address CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference. He was the main event that year and gave what he called his first address to the nation. Limbaugh was so central to the Republican Party at this point that RNC chairman Michael Steele was asked on CNN if Limbaugh was the effective party leader. When Steele claimed that Rush was just an entertainer, this pissed off Rush Limbaugh, who attacked Michael Steele on air Mm -hmm. and caused such an outpouring of right-wing rage against the RNC chairman that Michael Steele was forced to make a public apology to Rush Limbaugh. Kind of proving that he was effectively the leader of the Republican Party. Yeah. You know, it puts me in mind of Howard Stern uh, coming into the Philadelphia market and uh, forcing John DeBella the host of the morning zoo to apologize for being on the radio. Jesus. I didn't know that it happened. <laughs> oh, it was, it was, it was ridiculous. So <laughs> as leader of the Republican party, Limbaugh spent the Obama years repeatedly hammering home the idea that there could not be peaceful coexistence between the right and left in the United States. Quote from rush. We live in two universes. One universe is a lie. One universe is an entire lie. Everything run, dominated, controlled by the left here and around the world is a lie. Every other universe where is where we are, and that's where reality reigns supreme and we deal with it. Again, the real America. Yeah. The real America, and there yeah. can be no coexistence. Yeah. This now now we're in the age of you know because <sighs> Biden said uh, the, you know is looking for unity. Anytime somebody's looking for unity yeah. and uh there is a there's a criticism of a famous monster like Rush Limbaugh. The response from the right is always, "Oh, where's the famous unity? Where? Well, I thought right. you wanted unity." And it's like, "Well, do you care about unity? You don't give a shit about it. You're already living in a world that says, if you don't if you don't come to believe the things that I believe, you are against America." And you are, uh, you are the real racist. You're the real misogynist. You are the real hater uh, of of all things that are decent. So it's, I don't know how we, I don't know how we unfuck ourselves from this from this situation. Right. Yeah. It. it I. I don't know that we can. Um, yeah. But the 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 way to do it is not to, not to yield to these people. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's 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 not to just let them get what they want, because what they want is the annihilation of the other. And Mm -hmm. and honestly, the annihilation of themselves, because it's a fucking death cult at this point. Like they can't be allowed to win. And 
like the people and, and and that's not to say that um every aspect of what has what of traditional conservative ideology is wrong they have some points that's why it brings people in the idea that like you should always be wary about giving the government control of things you yeah. fucking should you yeah. know like absolutely that, there's a space there is a space for conservatism in society that is not what Rush Limbaugh turned it into, which is not to say that it was because fucking Reagan was president before Limbaugh came onto the scene and he yeah. was terrible and very toxic, not mm-hmm. to, like to toxicity in the Republican Party goes back very far. But also, it's not for nothing that the Republicans used to be the party of Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there it's it's not there. There is a way to have a conservatism that is influential in society that isn't a fucking death cult. And we have to at very least get back to that if we're going to continue to be a democracy that doesn't spiral inevitably into civil war you know i have i'm a a pretty committed leftist but i also do not seek a society that forces my beliefs on other people but you can't you can't give these people an inch because they'll take everything that's how they are you know that's what in part, what Rush had a big impact in making them into. By 2015, Rush Limbaugh had succeeded in leading a rightward push that finally prepared the Republican Party to nominate an obvious fascist, Donald Trump. Limbaugh embraced Trump early on, right-wing radio host and never-Trumper Joe Walsh, who is another actually <laughs> principled conservative, mm-hmm. draws a direct line between Limbaugh and Trump. Quote, The average Trump supporter loves Trump because he fights, man. He fights, not because of any policy or issue or political philosophy. That's why they loved Rush before him. It wasn't about conservatism. I still can't tell you after 30 years what the fuck he believes in, but he knew how to prey on audiences' grievances and resentments, which is what conservative talk radio does. Rush was a son of a bitch. He'd lie about the dims and punch them and make fun of them. That gave him a cult-like following from the beginning. Trump sort of inherited it. And I, Joe Walsh, Again, not a guy I I agree agree with on much, mm-hmm. but he's right on the money here. Absolutely. He's analyzing it properly. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The thing I think the thing also about Trump is like like Rush doesn't really b- have any deeply held beliefs, mm-hmm. right? No, like that. No, you you could you couldn't say this guy even convincing himself mm-hmm. really cares that much about anything beyond what's right in front of his fucking face yeah. that is yeah. about him. And All he cares about is his own aggrandizement, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's narcissism. Trump and Limbaugh are very similar people. Absolutely, yeah. Rush bent the knee to Trump, declaring him everything but the second coming. And we will not labor long on Rush during Trump's years, because once he had helped shepherd his massive audience into Trump's arms, his cultural influence faded. It was watered down by the sheer mass of right-wing ideologues who flooded the internet and increasingly urged their followers to embrace irrationality, conspiracy, and fascism. In February of 2020, Rush led the charge denying the reality of COVID-19. He called it the common cold and mocked even his old ally Matt Drudge for caring about the burgeoning plague. He urged his listeners against mask wearing, calling it a symbol of fear. Rush had long denied the dangers of smoking, particularly secondhand smoke, but this was a new level for him. When Trump lost re-election to Biden, Limbaugh immediately called the election a sham and joined the chorus of voices claiming fraud. By this point, though, he was sick, and the playing field was so flooded with men who sounded like him, triggered the libs like him, lied like him, that his voice hardly rose above the din. Rush had succeeded in building a right wing so made in his own image that he no longer stood out in it. 
His last show was February 2nd. He died less than two weeks later. Killed by the lung cancer, he denied had anything to do with smoking, because that was another thing Rush denied his entire career. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Walsh, a former Limbaugh lover, uh, found, like when he was much younger, he mm. got into talk radio because of Limbaugh, eventually wound up, and to be fair, before Trump rejecting Limbaugh mm. in a lot of ways, found the whole arc of Rush's career to be terribly sad. Quote, I didn't think that at the end of his life, Rush would sell out to Trump the way he has. He had every opportunity this final year to come clean and be decent. I mean, he was still on this February, lying about a stolen election. He'll keep up this act till he dies. And it's sad. When a writer from Rolling Stone asked if maybe the reason he kept backing Trump was that Limbaugh truly believed in what Trump said, Walsh countered with a theory of his own. Quote, maybe knowing him, it's one last big extended fuck you. Maybe it's Limbaugh saying, I'm not going to bend to the dims and anybody else, no matter what, never. To the end, I'm never going to do it. And at the end of this, I can't help but think that there's something terribly meaningful in the fact that Joe Walsh rejected Limbaugh in his later years and at his end. Walsh gained prominence as a voice of the rising Tea Party. He is very conservative, but his constant principled resistance to President Trump proves that he is not a fascist. And it turns out what Limbaugh was really selling what he was preparing the American right for all along was fascism. If you want confirmation of this, you need look no further than how America's most prominent neo-Nazis reacted to Limbaugh's death. Chris Cantwell was one of the speakers and organizers of the Deadly Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. He is a straight-up Nazi. He assaulted left-wing counter-protesters at the event, and when this brought legal consequences on him, he filmed himself crying in fear, earning the nickname The Crying Nazi. <laughs> Cantwell gained prominence among the alt-right as a podcaster with shows like Outlaw Conservative. And Chris Cantwell openly sees Rush Limbaugh as the man who invented his style of content, who made his career possible. He's in jail right now because he made a bunch of illegal threats and stuff, <laughs> but he was interviewed for another fascist podcast by a guy named Jared Howe on, like, right after Limbaugh's death. And in this clip I'm about to play, the crying Nazi Chris Cantwell discusses his reaction to learning about Rish, uh, Rush Limbaugh's death. And when I heard, you know, when I heard Catherine's voice, I, I, I choked up and I said, oh, no. You knew. You know, and I, yeah, I knew. I, and it, the, Catherine the Limbaugh. Week, I had actually, uh, she wrote a letter to Rush. I, I kept on hoping that, you know, I'd get out of here inside that I could, like, call into the show or drop an email. And I started to realize, like, all right, he's in Philadelphia for two weeks. Uh, if I'm going to contact this guy, just I'm probably going to have to do it by mail. And I was actually going to—I forgot to do it. I was going to ask you to get me see if there was an address that I could write to. And uh, it turns out it's a little late for this. Yeah. But um, you know, when I when I heard her voice, I choked up. I said, "Oh no!" If I saw you heard me, uh, he, he knew exactly what was going on. I'm going to tell her, "Oh my, this guy's going to be dead." And um, and so yeah, I heard it when it happened, and I was like, "You got to be fucking kidding me, man!" So. That's, I mean, you know, you, 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 like, he's legitimately affected by this. He's mourning Rush mm -hmm. Limbaugh, this Nazi. And he's not the only Nazi mourning Rush Limbaugh. The Daily Showa is one of the most prominent Nazi podcasts on the internet. The word Showa is the Hebrew term. It mean, I think it means calamity for the Holocaust. So there, it's literally, mm -hmm. this is the Daily Holocaust. And it is maybe the most prominent Nazi podcast on the internet. Now, TDS is, it's, 
hosts call it, has been on the ears for years at this point, since before Trump was in office. And the hosts of the Daily Showa consider Limbaugh to be something of an idol. Now, these guys are hardcore Nazis, so they consider Russia moderate, and they do demean him at times for that. But they also recognize that he paved the way for their financial success and cultural influence. And in this next audio clip, you can hear several members of the Daily Showa, can't emphasize that name enough, learn live about Rush Limbaugh's death. And the emotional impact it has on them is undeniable. News cucked on that. What happened? Guess what happened today? What? Sven, got some bad news for you, buddy. Rush Limbaugh is dead. Oh, Are you man. serious? Wow. I mean, well, I guess I can't see what he's saying about Texas. I'm not going to I'm not going to dance on his grave. He he said a lot of really dumb things, but I'm still so kind of sad about that. Like he, I'm very you know. sad about that. I wouldn't be here if not. Yeah. I wouldn't be here, says host of the Daily Showa, without Rush Limbaugh. I can't think of a more damning thing to say in a man's passing, but that he was truly honestly mourned by Nazis. Yeah. Yep. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. At the end of the day, that's what you can say yeah. about Rush, and that is the end of our episodes on Rush Limbaugh. Wow. You doing, Paul? I'm good. I mean, look, he said some dumb things, and I am going to mm-hmm. dance on his grave. <laughs> I am absolutely going to dance on his he grave. He sucked, and I'm glad he's dead. He was a bad person. And I, I, and I have to say, on social media, when, when the story broke, people were talking about it. There were a lot of people that wanted to say, you know, you can you you know you can say whatever you want, but Rush was hugely successful, more successful than you will ever be. He had more influence. He was a millionaire. Guys, take the W. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You you can't. And this is the problem with these guys, with Trump, with people like this. Is it's not enough for them to win. They need people to lick the boots. They need yeah. people yes. to say you are the greatest. It is never enough for them. It is never enough for them to be hated, to be feared, to have mm-hmm. all the marbles. They need you to say, I love you too. Yes. They need it. And that is, that is what the only solace I can take in a life like this is that in the end, he didn't get the thing that he wanted, which was everybody saying, you're the greatest and I love you. No, and that was the, rest in piss. Yeah, it was this, rest in piss and a bunch of Nazis crying. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you make if this is what you make of your life, mm-hmm. this is how this is what's going to happen is that you're going to have people saying rest in piss. You're going to have people yeah. saying this and it's and, and sorry, you can have all the success you want. You're never going to get that love. It's not going to happen. And no. people you know, are actively making plans to shit on your grave. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you materially harmed their lives. Yes. You and the lives of people they of knew trash. and the lives mm-hmm. of people that they loved. You have yeah. you have made life that much harder for generations yeah. of people for that will billions come billions of humans. Yeah. You have yeah, yeah. Rush Limbaugh had a material, significant, negative impact on billions of people, many of whom are yet unborn. Yeah. Like, yeah. Rest in piss, anyway, Rush. Rest in piss, Brush. I wish rest the lung cancer piss, had worked faster. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Paul, you got a, got some pluggables to plug at the end of this <laughs> sure. upbeat episode? Yeah. Um, I'm going to be appearing on The Daily Show in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Big TDS fan. By the way, I want to I shout out and give thanks to Daniel Harper of the wonderful podcast, I Don't Speak German, which is the deepest dives you're going to find on the 
Nazi content creators, I guess you go Nazi thought leaders in the United Oof. States. Very important work. Daniel Harper, I don't speak German. He provided those clips to me. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah. Um, sorry, back to your. No, thanks, not at all. Um, yeah. uh, you can follow me at uh, PF Tompkins on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And um, I have uh, a few podcasts that you can listen to. Um, you know, just all the usual stuff. You can find out about me on PaulFTompkins.com. Amazing. PaulFTompkins.com. Well, that's going to do it for us here at Behind the Bastards. Um, so go out into the world, tie one half of your brain behind your back, and then die because that would actually kill you. That that would that would immediately lead to your death. <laughs> exposed brain. There's a reason we have skulls, people. Don't Keep your brain inside of it. Yeah. Anyway. Bye, guys. Podcast! Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.